with you this morning and you want to turn there, be taking some scripture out of the gospel according to Luke in chapter 18. And uh, we'll also be looking at Luke chapter 11. And uh, I'm sure just based on pure experience, you probably know we'll probably hit a few other places throughout the Bible. Uh, We won't necessarily turn there, but we will reference it. Um, And I've said this many times over my Christian life and and lived it and learned from it, but uh, really everything that we do should begin with prayer. Uh, That Jesus taught the disciples that they ought to always pray. And a real telltale sign of the health of a Christian life is their prayer life. And when I say that, I don't just mean uh, that you go to God with your uh, wish list and then God you know, picks a few, gives you what you want, and then tells you to wait on the others or no on some of them or anything like that. Because if that were the only relationship we had with God, that, I, I mean, that would be better than nothing, but that's not as good as it can be. And Jesus here in Luke chapter 18, and we'll start reading it about verse 1, uh, he begins to talk about being persistent and persevering in the face of an enemy. And you know what this really, this particular set of scripture makes me think of is in the book of Daniel. And it says that Daniel began to pray to God and, and, and to ask for God's help. And it was 21 days before that Daniel got an answer to his prayer. And you know how closely that Daniel walked with God and how that God used him and dealt with him and everything. And then when the answer did come, that uh, the archangel told Daniel, he said, I was withstood by the adversary, the devil, uh, 21 days. And uh, that he had to essentially fight his way through. And I can tell you that that still applies now, that we do have an adversary who is seeking our defeat, who is seeking to undermine our faith and our ability to soldier on. And it's well said that in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 24, where that Jesus said, they that endure until the end, the same shall be saved. You don't endure without assurances along the way. And you see here in Luke chapter 18, we'll start reading at verse 1, uh, that Jesus demonstrates what's necessary to soldier on. So verse 1 says, And He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Verse 2 saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. Verse 3, And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And what Jesus is doing is He's taking the worst possible situation that you could find yourself in, that this widow is talking to a judge, that he honestly, he's not worried about what God thinks or what God wants. He doesn't care what man wants. Uh, He's going to do his own thing, but says even in her continual coming, even in her coming to Him and asking and seeking and knocking, that eventually He looks around and says, I'm going to give her what she wants just because she wearies me. And then how much better God is than that. 
That if you look uh, uh, in, in the uh, earlier writings or the earlier teaching of Jesus Christ, you would find that uh, uh, Jesus told them to ask and to seek and to knock uh, uh, and that your loving Father will give to you uh, as you have need. Now I can tell you, of course, we know that we ask things amiss. Uh, but when we pray, uh, uh, don't ever be bashful or backwards or anything. The Word of God says uh, uh, that you should come boldly before the throne of God. To not be afraid to ask, to not be afraid to seek, to not be afraid to knock, uh, uh, because God, uh, it's His good pleasure to give you good things. But the problem is, is that a lot of people are too backwards about asking anything. And I can tell you that the example, we're going to turn to it here in a minute, that Jesus gave to the disciples uh, in order to be able to pray that there were certain things they were supposed to do. And one of the big things in prayer is actual worship. Now you think about the importance of the worship of God. Now if we only worship God on Sunday morning. On Wednesday night, Sunday night, whenever it is that we go out to the house of God, we're missing a whole lot of other worship time. But if we have a good, healthy prayer life, uh, we'll find ourselves worshiping Him on a daily basis uh, and on a near continual basis as men ought always to pray. Worship is a big, important part of prayer. That's why that when Jesus gave them that example, that he, uh, one of the words that He said was, Hallowed be Thy name. That's an acknowledgement of the greatness of God. We should find ourselves looking and saying, God, You're greater than me. I don't know what's coming next, but I know that I need Your help. And it's not like that we're coming and we're trying to talk Him into it. You know, uh, uh, some of my colleagues there at the school, a student will walk up to them and they'll say, can I go to the bathroom? And the teacher will look at them and say, I don't know, can you? I've never done a student that way that I can recall. And the reason that I don't do that is because I don't care how they ask. If I genuinely think that they actually need to go, I'll let them go. Uh, I'm not worried about how they ask. But a lot of times, and I do this, when we get down and pray, we start using the King James English. We feel that we have to make it eloquent in some way that it has to roll off the tongue. And I, and I know I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else. But the truth is, that's not impressing to God. That's not anything. And, and I do it whether, whether I'm praying in front of a group of people or it's just me in my closet at home. But the point is, is that we come to God and we begin to talk to Him. Uh, uh, and sometimes uh, a big part of prayer is not us talking but us listening. You see, you don't have to close your eyes to pray. You don't have to kneel down. But here's my advice when you pray, especially if you think it's going to be in for the long haul. Get comfortable. Not too comfortable, but get comfortable. Close your eyes to block out any distraction. And then essentially come to God and say, God, what do you have for me today? Give us this day... Our daily bread. Lord, feed me. Lord, help me. In the greatness that you have, show me what I need to do. Deliver me from evil. Help me to avoid whatever temptation is going to come along today. Essentially, starting out by saying, God, whatever it is that's going to happen, I want to find myself looking to you and trusting you. And being persistent in it. There are going to be days when you don't feel like getting down and praying. You're going to be angry. You're going to be too tired. 
be too hungry, too upset. But men ought always to pray, to ask, and to seek, and to knock. Because you'll notice uh, that what he says then in verse 6, it says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge His own elect, which cried day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them? Verse 8, I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on earth. Jesus is essentially looking around at him and saying, are you going to trust in God whether He answers you immediately or whether you have to wait for a long time? Whatever the case may, must be, you might find yourself essentially saying, God, whatever it takes. Whatever I've got to do, any price that I have to pay, any step that I have to walk, but God, I am going to stick with You. Because the alternative is that we're going to quit. And you see all the way back in the book of the Exodus, right before that the children of Israel uh, went down into the valley of Rephidim and, and fought with the Amalekites and Joshua, he raised up an army there. It was the first battle we have recorded that Joshua fought. Uh, uh, that Moses was up on the hillside and all that took place. Uh, right immediately before that, God spoke to Israel as a nation. That all the people heard Him. That He would speak to all of them. And what do they do? They look around at Moses and they say, Moses, tell God to just speak to you and then you come and tell us. They essentially said, we want it second hand. We don't want to talk directly to God. They forfeited the blessing that they had because they didn't want to talk directly to God. Don't forfeit your blessings because you're not willing to get down and pray. You may say, well, Brother Jeremiah, I don't know how to pray. Uh, well, it's quite simple. Uh, uh, you get in a fashion where that you can concentrate on God uh, and you talk to Him. And you don't have to use the King James English or anything else. You talk to God like you would talk to me or anybody else. Uh, uh, but rather knowing that when you come to God uh, and you talk to Him and you have a need uh, and you ask, come knowing that He can do something about it. I don't care what it is. I don't care if death is at your doorstep. God can put life where there isn't any life. Dead ears hear His voice. That He can do these things. And a lot of times, you know, when we read in the Old Testament or we read about the miracles and all those things that took place, we look around and say, well, that can never happen to me. Well, Jesus said very plainly, you have not because you ask not. But how often do we get down and pray and somebody's got a terminal diagnosis uh, and we say, oh, Lord, help them. Lord, uh, comfort them in this time. I don't want to sell God short. When we pray and say, well, now, Lord, if you've been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But now that he's dead, there's nothing you can do. I don't ever sell God short. But rather look and say, God, whatever it is that is in your will, that if they have to change something, Lord, bring them to that point. If they need a messenger from you, Lord, send me. You see, because a lot of times when we pray, we pray and we say, now God help them, but don't send me. I'm too busy. I can't go. I don't want to. 
I don't like talking to people. I don't like visiting people in the hospital. There's a pandemic. I don't want to go out and potentially get COVID or something like that. Rather than saying, God, I'll go anywhere that you send me. I'll do anything you ask of me. You have but to tell me. But rather, a lot of times when we get down and pray, we say, God, help them. But don't inconvenience me. And when I say that, I have to kind of step on my own toes when I say that. Because I'm guilty of that. But you see, the fashion in which we even come to God and pray, a lot of times, means more than actually what we say. Because God knows what we're going to say before we say it. And if you read the accompanying Scriptures here, right after that Jesus talks about this in verse 10, He talks about two men that go up to the temple to do what? pray and they come with two vastly different attitudes your attitude before you pray is more important than what you say while you pray and sometimes uh, you know and i've watched a lot of uh, fitness things and stuff like that and i've seen these guys that recently i watched a few videos on youtube about power lifters I don't even know how I ran off on that tangent, but it was interesting. And those guys, you know, they'll they'll have muscles in places that I don't even have places. And they'll get down and they'll begin to try to lift uh, some ungodly amount of weight. And they'll start start sucking themselves up, shaking their hands and slapping themselves in the chest. Some of them will even have somebody slap them in the face and everything. It's audacious. But they'll sock themselves up to get ready to do this thing that they know is difficult. But when we pray, We don't necessarily need to do all of that, but we do need to sit down and say, God, I know who You are. Remind yourself in the Scripture of who God is. And if you're not sure, I recommend Genesis chapter 1. Or maybe Job chapter 20. Where that God begins to reveal Himself and they see the greatness. Uh, or in the book of the Revelation in chapter 20, when you see Jesus come in all of His glory, uh, uh, that has a name, King of kings and Lord of lords, uh, uh, that if you read in Genesis, you'll see that it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, uh, that He spoke everything into existence. Or maybe you should read where that Jesus said that the very hairs of your head are numbered. Or that God cares even about the sparrows that fall from the air. And how much more does He care about you? And you get down and you pray and you petition. And you come with the right attitude. Because let's look at the two different attitudes. It says in verse 10, Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now, if you were one of the Pharisees in the crowd, you would be looking around saying, a publican went to the temple to pray? This is the kind of guy that would steal a Bible. Publican? He's a Roman collaborator! A thief! With a government paycheck. But now the publican, or I mean the Pharisee, he's, he's one of the religious elite. So he goes on in verse 11, it says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus, with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He comes and he says, God, you owe me. You should bless me because I deserve it. Very similar to when that the centurion sent 
the man to talk to Jesus because he wanted his servant healed. Do you remember that? And they come to Jesus and they say, oh, he's good to our people. He helps out our synagogue. He's merciful to us and all this. And Jesus, he agrees to go. And then when the centurion hears what they told Jesus, no, 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 no. Don't tell him that. Don't try to force him or feel like that, make him feel like that he owes me anything. And so he says, Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house, but I know that as a man under authority, you just have to speak. And if you speak, I know that it will happen. And Jesus marveled at that man's faith because he knew. And at that very hour, the man was healed. The centurion servant was healed at that very moment. That he came with the right attitude. An attitude of faith. And notice what it says about the publican in verse 13. It says, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote himself upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Did you ever notice that Jesus hung out with sinners? Now the Pharisees followed him everywhere he went. They watched him. They seen the same things that everybody else did and drew a different conclusion. But the men that seen Jesus who were taken in a fault, it was like going to the doctor and the doctor telling you your cholesterol is too high. You've got high blood pressure. And here's the cure. And they said, it's really that simple? And he said, absolutely. And they rejoiced in it. But the Pharisees said, you, what you're saying doesn't fit in our little box. And so we can't subscribe to it. And they wouldn't ask for the truth. There were but a precious few Pharisees. Nicodemus was one of them. He came to Jesus by night secretly. But later on we find him in the Bible going and helping get the body of Jesus Christ and taking and burying him in a very public way. Begged the body of Jesus the way that it said. But you see the problem was the attitude. When we get down and pray, our attitude tells us everything that we really need to know as far as our attitude toward God. Because Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Because you see, when you get down and you worship the Lord, that's where that you're humbling yourself. That's why that Jesus, when He told His disciples you ought to pray like this, that it was with thanksgiving. You know, this past Thursday, we all got together and we ate mass quantities and all that. But more than anything, I hope we were thankful that we had it to eat. That we had plenty. That we were thankful that we were able to get to where we wanted to go. That we were able to enjoy the things that we're able to enjoy. You know, we're every one of blessed people because we're not just barely surviving. We're not just barely making it, but rather we're thriving. And while the world around us, the outlook may be bleak, I think every one of us looks to the future with hope, knowing that God's going to take care of us no matter what comes our way. That to me is that peace that passes understanding that the Apostle Paul wrote about. But I want you to notice in Luke chapter 11, we'll read, and this is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. 
Uh, I would imagine it's the Lord's sample prayer. As a teacher, I can tell you that a lot of times if you give students a project of some kind to do, you're supposed to give them an example, something that they can look at and say, okay, here's what they're looking for. Jesus does that with His disciples. You see, Jesus, and if you wonder how important prayer is, Jesus made a point to pray. He was the Word made flesh come down into this world and he found it necessary to pray and to pray often. Why? Well, I believe it's revealed like when he got down in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed and he asked God for a thing that the flesh wanted, but he always ended it with, but not my will, but thine. You see, our flesh wants certain things and we can ask, But I think ultimately we need to look around and say, but not my will, God, but yours. Not what I want, but what you want. You see, because really, coming to God in the right attitude is saying, God, no matter what I want, I want your will to take place. Even if it takes from me. And notice in verse 1, chapter 11 of Luke, it says, and it came to pass... That as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So they've asked for a good thing. He doesn't say, well, now, you know, you've got to hit certain areas and you've got to know this much of the the Scriptures first before you ever get down and pray. You've got to educate yourself before you can pray. He doesn't say that. Rather, he launches into how teach them how to pray. Now, don't make a mistake and think that this is the only time Jesus ever said this. You know, in order for somebody to remember something, often it takes repetition. I don't care how good their memory is. Or maybe one of them got out a pencil and paper and started writing it down. But the point is, is that Jesus gave them this as an example. But it wasn't that you should only pray and say these words. But pray in this manner. It says, And He said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. The right attitude, right off the bat. Worship. He's worshiping God. Looking at Him. saying, The Father in heaven. Acknowledging the greatness of God. That's why that when we pray, We refer to Him as our Heavenly Father, our dear Lord, the Most High God. All of these titles, more than the words, it's the attitude. It's the same as whenever we bow our heads to pray before we eat. Okay, now I'm going to go ahead and go out on a a long skinny branch here, religiously speaking. But if you miss a time before you eat, that you miss a time to pray, it's not going to send you to hell. But it's good for you to stop regardless of how hungry you are. And acknowledge and say, God, I wouldn't have this if you didn't bless me. And I acknowledge that. You see, the Pharisees, what did they say? They said, well, the disciples ate without washed hands. And Jesus said, you're missing the whole point. People would look around and find fault with somebody who didn't bow their head before that they ate. I won't do that. I don't do that. But rather, I'm impressed upon that they stop. And take what little precious time they have and say, God, thank You for this. And it doesn't have to be... You don't have to work out your prayer life while you're asking God to bless your food. 
You see, I think that's a really important part. That way, if there's something wrong with that food, you're saying, God, protect me from this if there's something wrong with it. Take care of me. Because I, I eat a lot of food that I don't know who prepared it at restaurants and things like that. And I'm counting on God to look out for me and to take care of me. Ask Him for His blessings. And He goes on in verse 3, He says, And give us day by day our daily bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That he's looking around and he's telling them, look, you depend on God for everything. Not just spiritual things, but physical things. Verse 4, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now that one's the one that will really get you if you're not careful. That I believe Matthew recorded it. Forgive us as we forgive others. You know what that means? Forgive me in the same manner that I forgive other people. Meaning it's really hard to ask God to forgive you when you won't forgive somebody else. Remember what I said about attitude? It's real easy to look around and say, God, now I need forgiveness. But now I'm going to hold a grudge because this person did X, Y, or Z to my kid. And I've heard people justify this. Well, well, Brother Jeremiah, they wronged my kid. Oh, I see. Man wronged God's kid too. And yet God still forgave man. And, and, And I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not quick to be confrontational, but over one of my kids, yes, I will. And I have. I've had to repent of getting so angry over somebody wronging one of my children. I had to ask God to help me forgive. You know, the problem with forgiveness is, is that you didn't do anything wrong a lot of the time. And it feels like you're giving them a pass. But the truth is, in forgiving them, you're getting forgiveness for yourself. And if you're not praying, you're not getting forgiveness like you should. See, because a lot of people, here, here's, here's one of the greatest problems that faces any Christian. And I know this from personal experience. It's when you sin. And when you sin, and maybe it's the same thing that got you a thousand times before. The same thing that you were tempted of and fell into again. And you're hesitant to go and ask God for forgiveness. Because the devil's there saying, that eh, thousand and once too many times. That's too often. You know God forgave you for that twice last week. The Bible says to go boldly before the throne of God. Depending not on justifying yourself. Remember what the publican said? God be merciful to a sinner like me. And it said he went home justified. Not God, now I'm a regular attender at the church house, so you have to forgive me, but rather saying, God, be merciful to me. Coming and appealing to God's mercy. And then, when you've asked for forgiveness, receive it and claim it under this word right here. Because the devil will say, oh, you might have prayed, but you didn't get forgiveness. Let me tell you something. Satan's a liar. Don't believe him. Trust in the forgiveness of God. And keep working. The moment that you go the wrong way is the moment you quit trying. 
The moment that you stop looking to the Lord. Whenever I've seen anybody that's backslid, I can tell you, here, here's the recipe. They didn't go all at one lick. It started where they kept drifting farther and farther and farther and farther until they look around and they don't pray, they don't read their Bible, and they don't go to church. And when you find them in that state, best case scenario is they're the so-called carnal Christian, but the worst case scenario is they have lost their salvation. And a lot of people would try to say, oh, you can't lose your salvation, brother. I assure you, you can. You can break a covenant. And that's what this is. God won't break His side of it, but you can break yours. But you don't do it all at once. Satan will lure you away. And I can tell you that the best way that he can cut you off is to knock out your prayer life. How often do we pray? Is it daily? Is it once a week? Is it a couple of times a day? You know, a lot of people would say, oh, you ought to at least pray three times a day. I say pray all the time. That doesn't mean run around with your eyes shut all the time. I wouldn't recommend that, especially driving down the road. But I would recommend that before you take out, that you always keep in the back of your mind, you know, Lord, I won't make it to where I'm going without your protection, without your help. I don't know about you, but I'm not that good of a driver. If we trust in God continually, we come and pray with the right attitude, we're going to be a lot better off that we talk to God and talk to Him on a regular basis. You'll notice that people you're close to, you talk to pretty often. People that you're not very close to, you don't talk to that often. You ever notice that? And in this day and time, you can stay in touch with anybody just about anywhere. But I don't care where you go, where you're at, you don't need cell phone reception. You don't need a clear line of sight to a satellite in the sky. You can be in the deepest hole on planet Earth and still communicate with the Most High God, the One who made all of this. And if you can't, the problem's not on God's end. It's on yours. And it should start with repentance. You see, when you start your prayer out, worship Him. And then just see where it goes. When you pray, you should be worshiping God. You should be asking for what you need. You notice Jesus said, give us day by day our daily bread. That's why I like to pray in the morning. Because I don't know what the day holds. You know, sometimes I'll try to pray at night. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. Sometimes if I lay down, I'll just fall asleep right in the middle of praying. That's better than not praying at all. But when you set your alarm just a smidge early and you a lot time to get up and pray before you have to dash out the door and go to work, I can tell you that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him by making time to pray. And it's easy. It's easy to not. It's easy to say, I don't have the time. Of course you don't have the time. You have an adversary who's doing his best to make sure that you don't have that time. But if you set it aside... And you're uncompromising in it. I guarantee you that it will be better for you than it is if you don't do that. And a lot of people would say, well, Brother Jeremiah, you know, you're kind of preaching to the choir here. You need to emphasize this in your life. Because times are not getting easier to be a Christian. They're getting more difficult. Most Christians now in a, in a public place or in a crowd of people, you have to be careful 
what you say because then they begin to uh, uh, ascribe certain things that they say are wrong to the Christian faith. And they'll attack you and they'll revile you. But if you establish a rapport with them beforehand and then bring the gospel, it's a lot different. That's why it's so important to be as wise as a serpent, but as harmless as a dove in this day and time. And I can tell you that around some people, you have to walk on eggshells. You espouse anything that even has the slightest hint of Christianity, they'll cry foul on it. We've got to walk a fine line these days, and I don't know how to do that without the power of prayer. The power of prayer, everything that you do should start with prayer. Whatever decision it is that you're going to make. Now, it may be, and I've had this happen. But I get down and I pray, Lord, help me. Show me what to do. And the answer I get back is, hey, whatever you do, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you if you go to the left or if you go to the right. I'm going to take care of you. Whatever you put your hand to, I'm going to prosper you. But Lord, can't you just tell me exactly what to do? Well, He kind of did. He looked and said, do whatever you want to do. I'm going to be with you. What a blessing that is. Rather than God saying, all right, I want you to go and do this and do that. But a lot of times it seems like when God does that, we won't listen. But rather we trust Him and say, all right, I'll trust you. The first psalm, it's not a very long psalm, but essentially what it says is that God will bless somebody who keeps their way righteous. That He'll take care of them and whatever they do is going to prosper because God will see to it. You ever pray a prayer like that? You ever trust Him like that and say, Lord, I know that wherever I go and whatever I do, You're going to be with me. That's the way we need to trust Him. That's the way we need to ask and seek and knock and pray without ceasing. Let's all stand and get a song.